0: What tempts you to sin? What is the temptation on your heart this morning as you come to church? Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to get up and share about it, because I would have to share then mine, and boy, we'd go all day, right? Temptation is front and center in our gospel reading this morning as we look at this first Sunday of Lent. We enter into a holy Lent, we begin to contemplate the sinfulness of our own lives and our those things which would separate us from God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Very familiar, I hope, words from the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that Jesus taught His disciples. Why does Jesus pray that we will not be led, lead us not into temptation? We know from James, that the book of James, that that God doesn't tempt anyone, that we're not tempted by God. We're tempted by our own desires that well up within us. So why is it that Jesus puts it that way? Well, it could be a sense, it's more of a poetic way of thinking about it. When I went off to seminary, I learned that there's all sorts of genres of scriptures. And and, and so you have to understand sort of the, the subtleties of language, things that help us to remember that. You might better paraphrase, paraphrase what Jesus says is, do not allow us to be overwhelmed by temptation. That seems to fit with the theology of the New Testament. Don't let us be overwhelmed with temptation. And deliver us from evil really could be deliver us from the evil one. As a matter of fact, it's perfectly legitimate to, to translate that Greek word evil one rather than just evil. Yeah, I'm talking about Satan. Satan the devil, the great deceiver. So in effect, what Jesus is praying is, don't let us be overwhelmed by temptations and deliver us from the evil one who is too powerful for us, but not too powerful for God. Amen? If you've been paying attention, um, we've already talked about, back in the season of Epiphany, the baptism of Jesus um, it, it was something that I think I preached the second week of epiphany, and we talked about the authority of Jesus being bestowed upon him at his baptism. This is not when God came upon the man Jesus. That's a heresy of the early church. Don't fall for that. This is a, a time when Jesus is being Jesus, who is both God and man, is being commissioned for his ministry in the world. So why is it that we again are repeating the baptism account of Jesus and Mark and then going right into the temptation? Well, for one thing, because Mark is so brief that if we just talked about the temptation, it would be like, I don't know, 25 words or less. And so we're, we have the two together. But also, more importantly, because Mark and our lectionary writers want us to link the two experiences, Jesus' baptism and He's being drawn into the desert. The same Holy Spirit that comes upon Jesus and commissions him for the work and ministry in the world is the same Holy Spirit that compels him into the wilderness. And so Jesus goes into the wilderness with the Lord. The wilderness was not a place that the Jewish people particularly enjoyed, It it was wrought with all sorts of dangers and it was a place, it was the domain of the evil one. It was a place where the devil ruled or at least had free hand. And yet that is where Jesus is taken. Jesus, who is the one true faithful Israel, the beloved son who is faithful even when the nation is unfaithful. You might recall that in the Old Testament, oftentimes the people of Israel, the children of Israel are referred to as God's son. Particularly the king was referred to as his son. Second Samuel, Solomon is, re- is, re- is mentioned in that vein. But it is, it is Jesus who becomes the true faithful son. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah 49, 52 and so on. And he is, the, he is the faithful son of God who goes into the wilderness. Now Israel was, because of its sin, was meant to dwell in the wilderness for 40 years. Because of its sin, Jesus goes into the wilderness, not because of his sin, but because of his identification with our humanity. And he spends 40 days there. This is the reason why the season of Lent is 40 days long. It's no big, great mystery. It's that we thought, well, it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. So we, 40 days. But I also want to point out to you that Elijah and Moses both also spent 40 day periods in the wilderness themselves. Quite interesting, particularly in light of our transfiguration account that Michael preached last week. Moses and Elijah are the two people that appear on the mountain with Jesus, and all three of them have a 40 day experience of wilderness the wilderness james edwards who's a theologian a biblical scholar says the wilderness is a place a proving ground it's a place to test our faithfulness and it's a place where there is made a promise of deliverance the wilderness is a proving ground a test of faithfulness and a place where we are promised deliverance. Distinct from the temptations that go on there, Jesus goes into the wilderness for this time of testing and proving with the promise that God will deliver him. The wilderness is always a disorienting place. It's always a place of... um, you know, just disorientation. We don't quite know what to do. I I have experienced wildernesses that have lasted through Lent. I'll share about that in a second. but, But it's a disorienting place, but it's also an important part of discipleship. Every mature disciple of Jesus goes through periods of wilderness. If you haven't yet... It's probably because you're still young in the faith and I promise you, you will and some people refer to it as the dark night of the soul, but, but those times of wilderness are important and don't think that God has abandoned you just because you're in a period of wilderness. Wilderness may look like the loss of a job or the desire to have a job that you've not yet received. It may be something difficult in your marriage, a season of marriage that's very difficult. It may be a wilderness and sense of your calling. What is God's purpose for my life? It could look like depression. It could look like a loss of direction. It could be isolation that you feel during this COVID pandemic. But God can use the wilderness, amen? He can use the wildernesses in our lives. In Lent of 2002, I was living in Jacksonville, happy as a clam leading youth ministry working at all souls episcopal church and god began to speak to me about leaving that church and he didn't tell me where he was taking me and it was a wilderness and i was anxious about it and i did not feel peace and it took me the entire 40 days to come to a place of complete surrender to the lord and to trust him, and eventually what the Lord began to show me was that he was calling me to Gainesville, of all places, to be a part of St. Michael's Episcopal Church, to be a part of what God was planning to do among that group of people, who many of them are you who are looking online on or sitting in this room. God uses the wildernesses of our lives, But in the wilderness, Jesus is also tempted by Satan. That word Satan in the Hebrew means adversary. It's uh, oftentimes interchangeably used with the devil or the evil one, as we we said in, in the Lord's Prayer. But that word Satan adversary is important here because God's true son meets God's adversary, the evil one. Now our catechism, which I'm happy that we now have printed and available, tells us a little bit about temptation. Question 203 says, temptation is any enticement to turn from faith in God and to violate his commandments. It's the enticement to do those things. Jesus is enticed to do those things. In our baptism, we are renouncing three things, the world, our flesh, and the devil. And and denouncing the flesh, we're denouncing our selfish desires. And denouncing the world, we're denouncing those false promises that the world makes that we sometimes can't help but go after. And then thirdly, we're renouncing the devil and his temptations of us. And he does tempt us just as he tempts Jesus. Jesus was fully human it's easy sometimes to say, well, yes, Jesus was tempted by, by the devil, but he was God, so it really didn't matter. No, you, you're, you're failing to understand that Jesus had a complete human nature, which meant he was subject to every temptation that you and I have. That's what Hebrews tells us. And yet he did not sin. But his nature is tested in the wilderness. It's always that temptation to try to control versus submit to God. And Jesus is tested whether or not he will, he will allow his, he will take advantage of his sonship for his own advantage or will he submit to God's will, which is that he would resist that temptation and not succumb to the, to the tempter, um, the adversary. Now, Mark doesn't give us the three temptations that we get in Matthew and Luke. But we know what they are, right? Turn bread, turn rocks into bread, throw yourself from the top the the pentacle of the the temple and let the angels catch you and bow before Satan and receive all the kingdoms of the world, minus the suffering of the cross, mind you. Jesus was clearly tempted in more ways than just these three. These are simply meant to be... uh, sort of representative of all the temptations that Jesus suffered over a 40-day period without food or perhaps maybe even water. He's fasting, we're told, for 40 days. Man, 24 hours of fasting, and I'm about to lose it on David and Jose the other night. I can't imagine 40 days, right? 40 days, countless temptations, Can you be comforted this morning in the fact that your Lord has been tempted in every way that you've been tempted? You've been mistreated at work. Jesus understands that temptation. You've been denied a job that you've been waiting for, you've suffered by an abusive spouse. You've you've been misunderstood. Whatever the the temptation is to, to sin, to turn away from God and to try to take control of your life, understand that our Lord Jesus also was tempted in such a way. Now, it's also important to remember Jesus was tempted in all ways. To be tempted is not sin, That was really helpful in my Christian life because uh, early on, you know, I would get overwhelmed with temptation and begin to beat myself up for why I was tempted by those things. And I realized, no, Jesus was tempted by all these things as well. To be tempted is not to sin. And when we're tempted, we need to remember that there's an evil one who seeks to still kill and to destroy. And like one of the prelude songs that I'm not sure David got to play this morning, but it's the bait of Satan. It's this, the bait that the enemy of God sets for us that that we would succumb to the temptation. There is an adversary, and if we are unaware of that, if we think it's just our flesh, we're going to continually be overwhelmed with temptations of all sorts. Interestingly, Mark does not give us Any indication that Jesus overcomes the temptations, it's just presumed in his narrative. Very, very brief, right? One more element, though. Not only is he in the wilderness and he's being tempted by Satan, but we're told that Jesus is among the wild animals. Now, we live in Gainesville. So for me, when I think of wild animals, I think of alligators. All the things I like to do outside involve alligators. Kayaking, alligators. Playing golf, alligators. Running and hiking, alligators. I see them everywhere. And they are ferocious. They are wild animals. Jesus, we're told, is driven out among the wild animals. Walking at bar hammock and had to Sneak around a six-foot alligator that, that was laying there on the trail. You know, it's like, my goodness, how do we become so desensitized to these prehistoric creatures? Why does Mark give us that detail of the wild animals? Well, perhaps that is because those he's writing to, Mark's writing, of course, the earliest gospel. As he's writing to the Christians, particularly in Rome and other places around the Roman Empire, there are Christians who are being thrown to wild animals in the, in the arenas at the pleasure of Caesar, being torn apart by a wild beast, dressed in, in animal furs and spilt blood over them and then turned loose to wild dogs and other animals. But we're told that Jesus is not only among the wild animals, but that he's being ministered to by the angels. And the implication is that God will not abandon us to the wild animals any more than he abandoned his son, Jesus Christ. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Our greatest temptation is to abandon God to reject him or forsake him, to think that he's not good and that he's not for us, that is our greatest temptation. But hear me, God will not abandon you. Now, how do we apply Jesus' temptations in the desert to our own spiritual life? Well, I, I think I've tried to suggest a couple of things already, but Let me say that when we are tempted by sin, we are not simply ministered to by the angels, but we are ministered to by the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus Christ becomes the one who ministers to us. He is the one who will protect us from being overwhelmed by our temptations and will deliver us from the evil one who would seek to kill and destroy us. Hebrews 4 says, we have a high priest who is able to empathize with all of our weaknesses, yet was without sin. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, we can come boldly before the throne of God that we might find grace and help in time of need. And the Lord has placed us in a community of believers who hopefully will, will support us and lift us up and encourage us when we're under temptation. Man, I hope it's not true that, that if you confess your temptation to somebody that they begin to condemn you for having that thought. You remind them that Jesus was tempted just as you are, and so to back off <laughs> and pray for you and encourage you in your temptation. Victory under temptation comes as we begin to recognize the plot of the evil one. We begin to see the adversary. I could recount to you incredible coincidences where God set me up to be tempted, or not God sent me up, but the enemy set me up to be tempted to do something that would bring havoc and destroy. I mean, I I have almost, particularly around annual meetings and vestry meetings, there have been countless times where I could have just lost it, you know, and probably just, you know, blew the whole church thing up. But it's beginning to see the adversary's moves. I'm not much of a chess player, but my brother always tells me that in chess you learn by losing. And as you begin to play the game of life and you walk through these things, maturity is beginning to recognize, oh my gosh, I fell for that bait. It was just right there. And you begin to anticipate the adversary's moves, and you begin to do what we are called to do, which is to not to try to attempt to fight the, the enemy by ourselves. Deliver us from evil. Satan is too powerful for us, but to run to Jesus. Martin Luther said that when he is, was tempted, that he would. And it's funny because David mentioned Martin Luther earlier. Martin Luther said when he was tempted, he he would he would imagine. Um, Satan knocking at his door, and instead of answering the door, Luther said he would let Jesus answer the door. And Jesus would say to Satan, oh, Martin Luther, he doesn't live here anymore. I live here now. It's not only recognizing the temptation and the tempter, but running to Jesus and recognizing him. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the spotless lamb of God, the one who is beloved of the Father, whom the Father says he is well pleased, he is ready to say to Satan, no, 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 you don't put that on him, that's on me, and he stands for us, ready to defend us in the face of temptation. We have a high priest who is able to empathize with our weaknesses, yet was without sin. Therefore, Hebrews says, let us boldly come before the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and help in our time of need. And here's even better news. When you fail, when you take the bait, when you succumb to sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. If You sin, if you confess your sin, John says, God is faithful and just and he will forgive your sin and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Let us learn to trust you, Lord, in the wilderness. Let us recognize the source of our temptation Let us trust you to be our advocate in a hostile world. Amen.